How's everybody doing this morning? Good to see you. Uh, listen, uh, I'm really honored to be here today. My, my wife and I are actually in town for a family reunion. Uh, and I know that, that some people here would know my wife's family and yeah, uh, their roots go down in this church as well. But um, we're here, we're celebrating my wife's grandmother's 90th birthday, um, Audrey Lazell. So she's, she's one of the Lazells. Some of you know that, that little, that tree with all the roots in it. Um, I'm the wild seed grafted into the vine. Amen. And, uh, but we were here for Audrey's, Audrey's uh, 90th birthday, and we also got a chance to see Hugh, uh, who is uh, in the hospital, and he's doing okay, but you know, uh, He's in one of those moments where when we put four generations of people in his hospital room and, and uh, just kind of sat with him, it was really an incredible thing to see uh, all these gener- generations. How many of you know that, that God is faithful from generation to generation? And we really wanted our children to meet some of the family that they had not met before. This was a very important trip for us, and, uh, but it's just, just incredible, and uh, I just am so I'm so overwhelmed this week by the faithfulness of Jesus, amen? Like, like I get all the other stuff, the healing and, and uh, the church growth, and I understand that, but can I just tell you that the farther along in life you go, the more that you're grateful for God's faithfulness. And his faithfulness is one of the most powerful forces that keeps this planet spinning on its, on its axle and keeps us moving in the right direction. It's the faithfulness of Jesus. All that other stuff is great. I love it. But how many of you know that Jesus is never going to leave you? He's never going to forsake you. Come on. He loves you. He loves your family. Now, I do have my children here this morning. I want to introduce my three children. This is Kaylee, Tessa, and Kai. Will you please stand up? Um, Kaylee, <clears throat> stand up with your coffee. Yeah. Um, we just recently introduced them to coffee. I'm not sure how that's going, um, but, uh, but it's going well. They're, they're, uh, I got three kids. Kaylee just finished our internship. She's going to the university in Denver. Uh, she's one of our main worship leaders and works with our youth. Tessa is one of our bass players and musicians. She's 16, and Kai is 14, and uh, he plays guitar, and they love church. You know, um, I, I, I'm so grateful that my kids love church. I'm so grateful that my kids love church. And if you've ever had to be around leadership, if you've ever been in leadership, if you've ever been a part of a church plant or been on pastor, a pastor in a church or a leader in a church, one of the, you know, none of it means anything if your children don't love Jesus. And, and if your children don't love church, then there's something off in the mix and you've got to adjust. And uh, there's, there's nothing that we would have sacrificed along the way just to make sure that our children love Jesus and love the house of God. And, you know, there's, a, there's a, a, a lot going on in the world today, and I believe that one of, the, one of the, it's not fresh for you and I, but one of the things that's fresh in the kingdom today is local church theology. Because, you know, some of you grew up on local church theology, but the world took a, a big, long pendulum swing to where churches were being built, built on people's ideas and philosophy. But how many of you know the church isn't built on philosophy? The church is built on, on the Word of God. And on, and on Jesus. And uh, I, I just want our children, I want that next generation to catch that, that pendulum as it swings back over to, to a more balanced place, a biblical place. So huge deal for us. Very, a very deep kind of emotional week, but a great week. You know, got to see family, got to hang out, got to go fishing. Amen. Uh, if you know that is, that is the one thing, idolatrous thing in my life that I believe the Lord allows because the disciples were fishermen and uh, your youth pastor is a fisherman. So um, that's okay. We got to go fishing and got to see the ocean. I, I live a long way from the ocean. 
as far away as you can possibly go from the ocean, 1,300 miles from here in the middle of the country, right outside Denver, Colorado. And um, man, I, I tell you, coming here, we were like dry sponges. We, we all gained 10 pounds when we got off the plane. It wasn't from the food, it was from the moisture. We just, we just all of a sudden, we woke up and I was bigger. It was awesome. Amen. Amen. I haven't used chapstick one time this week. That's revival in my life, okay? Um, so, but what I want to do this morning, no canned messages. This is right where we're at with our church. I'm just preaching where we're at with our, with our house. Um, I, I like to always believe that our church is in a season. Our church is in a season of growth. Our churches might be in a, in a season of change. And um, we're always in a, in a season. We're always moving forward. The Bible says that the end of a thing is better than the beginning of the thing. And I got to tell you, I have to believe that. I church planted. Okay? So, and I told you many stories, I think, in the past about church planting. But uh, when we left uh, thousands of people and our youth, our youth, our, our, our church just got to the size of my youth, my youth volunteer staff. I want to tell you, that's revival in a church planter's life, right? So coming from City Bible and all the conferences and everything, um, I, I, just, I just want to tell you this morning that, that as you move through life, you just begin to realize some things, right? That seasons are very important. And you've got to take each season with a forward look at it because God doesn't want us to go backwards, right? So if I'm sitting in my living room with, with 11 people, 11 university students who don't have jobs, but they make really good coffee, right? Because they're from the Northwest. That's where we started, no jobs, but good coffee. You can only go so long on that. I believe you can go a little longer than some because I love coffee. But still, you have to believe that God's taking you forward even when you're at the smallest place you've ever been. Now, one of the ways that you begin to understand this is you've got to understand, we all have to understand that Jesus has more for us, and we have to begin to see it. Now, sight is a very important subject in the Bible. From Genesis through Revelation, light and sight is a really big thing. The Bible says that we don't live by the sight of our eyes, but we live by faith, right? So we move by faith. We live by faith and not by sight. But faith is our sight. So we have to understand, and this is one of the things I want to do this morning. I, I call this, I see more. You can turn in your Bibles to the, to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. And I want to talk about the eyes of our heart being enlightened just for a moment, and then we'll be done. And I, I just love Jesus today. And I'm so happy to be with you. Amen. You guys look really good. You, you guys look really good today. I, I mean, you're looking hot. Will the two of you please stand so we can stare at you? Just, yeah, the two of you. No, mom and dad, stand the pastors. I want you to just see how good you're, no, stand up. Stand up. Look, you, you just spent all your money on a wedding. Come on. You, you look, do, do they not look good? Come on, clap for your pastors. They look so good. I'm so, I'm so off. Oh, here we go. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 uh, through 23. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord. Now watch this. Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord and um, Lord Jesus and your love for God's people. Now faith in the Lord and love for God's people are brothers. You can't really have one without the other because one validates the other. So if somebody says they have faith, they also have to love God's people. 
If someone says they, they love God's people, but, but they don't have faith, or they, they're not believing for more, or they don't see things over, over people's lives. And, you know, I, I look at a young person in our church, and they're 12. I don't see them at 12 and think that they're young and unimportant. I see them at 25. I see them a reproducing member of the body of Christ. I see them just a few years, between like 16 and 19, or, or 18 and 21. They're going to discover their gifts. They're going to get a job. They might find their spouse. Um, you, you have no idea how fast this is this is going to go and so but you've got to have faith for it so so if your if your faith and your and your love for God's people match there's something that happens because people understand they recognize people who don't have one or the other this is really important because I've seen people who love who, who love God's people but they don't have faith they just want to sit they just want to let things go by I know people who, who love the Lord but they can't stand people you know what I mean it's like and I understand not everybody has to love people not everyone is a born extrovert and I totally get that how many of you know if it wasn't for us the church would be perfect right so we get that we get that but one validates the other so when Paul is, is writing, he says, I see your faith, but I also see your love for people because your faith and your love for people, they validate each other. We're not here to have faith for buildings. We're not here to have faith for cars or for better equipment or, or to have a, a remodeled lobby. Your lobby looks great. I just saw, I'm going to walk through it and just anoint it in a minute um, with coffee. But it, it's not about that. How many of you know our faith is for people? And the kingdom of God is not in the brick and the mortar the kingdom of God is in the people, right? So you've got to have one. It says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So we need to have wisdom and we need to have revelation so that we can know God better. Now, some people would say after you, get, after you find Jesus, that wisdom and revelation are fine, but that's how you have everything that you need. All you need is Jesus, and you know everything that there is to know about Jesus through grace, and I understand that. But the truth is that we do have to know God better. It's not that God needs to know you better. We need to know God better. We need to learn something about God. And people, some people say, well, once you get saved, it's fine. You know everything you need. No, you, no, you don't. It's like a marriage, right? So you had a wedding yesterday, and uh, how many of you know, and I'm just speaking from our marriage, how many of you know that on your wedding day, you don't really know each other? That is a lie. That is your introduction. Your introduction. On my wedding day, you stare into each other's eyes and you spend your parents' money and everything feels good when you do that. Trust me. Your wedding is the, young people, your wedding is the last day you ever get to spend your parents' money, right? Just enjoy it because the honeymoon will come to an end. We have some friends in Oregon, uh, the Rajinskis, uh, some of you may know the Rajinskis. They're originally from Canada, from Glad Tidings. But they just celebrated their 70th wedding anniversary. 70 years. How many of you know they know each other? They know each other. And so as we're going along, we pray for wisdom and revelation because you're not going to learn about God just through your intellect. So as you, if you want to see more, then there's a part of this you have to go, wait a minute, this is about faith, it's about God's people, it's about knowledge and wisdom, and I want to know him better, but it's not just about, it's not just about intellect. I can, I can want wisdom, but my wisdom has to be transformed into revelation. So somewhere along the line, you go from wisdom 
to revelation. Have you ever had a moment where God does something that you just can't do? God just comes up and he shows up and gives you an answer that you didn't have. There are some days you can do all the math. You can, you can pray. You can read every book. You can go to every seminar, whatever you want to do, and it still doesn't work. And then one minute in the presence of Jesus, come on, God begins to speak to you and he gives you the answer. So on all of our wisdom and in all of our smarts and all of our degrees and all of our whatever we have, our job experience, it's not the same as Revelation. So God wants us to love people. God wants us to have faith. God wants us to have wisdom so that we can know him better, but it takes revelation. So we've got to have revelation. My wife had a revelation the day that we got back from our honeymoon. I wasn't going to tell this story, but my wife, well, my, my wife and I, I, I was a morning person when I started this journey. And now I'm not. She was a night person when she started this journey, and now she's not. Somewhere in the middle, we, we met, and, and Jesus helped us. But the first day back from our honeymoon, I had a new job as a youth pastor. And I, I, I literally, it was my first day. I was so nervous. I got up at 5.30, and I turned on the lights to get ready. And my, my bride... We, we have been back from a honeymoon for like hours. My bride says, who are you? That's why I just thought it was apropos for this morning. She says, who are you? I said, I, I, I'm your husband. And she says, she says, why did you turn on the light? I said, because I have a job. Isn't that exciting? Turn off the light. You, you think that you know God. Now, over the years, we've had, we've had some revelation about, our, about ourselves. But you're not going to learn this. You're not going to learn this from a book. You're going to learn it by believing God for another season, believing God to take you forward and for him to reveal something. And this is where it gets really good. It says, so that I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. All right, you, your, your eyes, the eyes of your heart need to be enlightened so that you can see the hope. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his comparably great power for us who believe. And that power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And he seated him at the right hand of God in heavenly realms far above all rulers, far above all authorities, all power, all dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this age, but the age to come. So all of a sudden now, for us to have our eyes enlightened to what God wants to do, is that now he's taking us someplace that we can't go by ourselves. All of a sudden, now we're up in heaven, and we're looking through our lives from the perspective of heaven. And there's no other name, there's no other authority that can put you in the place that you need to go. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him uh, who fills everything in every way. The very first thing that he wants to do when he, uh, when he opens our eyes is he wants to give us hope. He says, pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you can have the hope, the hope of the inheritance. Now, if, if our hearts have eyes and they see, but it's dark, the light that turns on for us is prayer. 
Now, there, there's nothing that, that can do anything for you. That, that There's nothing like prayer. Prayer is the thing that turns on the light. It's the thing that pulls us up to a higher place. It's the thing that when, when you're praying to Jesus, you literally can't stay where you're at. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. You're having a bad day. You're mad at somebody. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's yourself. And you start to pray. And immediately when you begin to pray, you begin to complain. And as you're complaining, something turns over in your spirit. And then all of a sudden, you, you get lifted out of the place that you're at because you can't pray from a human place and not feel the conviction of God. So by the time that you're done praying, you're up here. So God then, as, as you pray, he opens the, the eyes of your heart and takes you to a higher place. That's prayer. That's what prayer does. Um, but the hope that he's talking about is our inheritance. Now, this is really important, and I saw it this week with four generations. And, uh, you know, Hugh Lazell, who helped plant thousands of churches in, in Africa, and uh, my, my wife was born in Nairobi during the Idi Amin years, and they chased her out of Uganda. She was born across the border because soldiers were trying to get them. She was born in Nairobi, went back to Africa, and now we get to go back to Africa, and I see thousands of churches. If you drive through the streets of Kampala, about every fifth or sixth church, because there's a lot of churches there, right? But about every fifth or sixth one came from the movement that her grandfather planted back in the, in the late 40s and 50s. Because the eyes of his heart were enlightened to do something. And so what happens is when we pray, we often pray through the eyes of our need because we're human. So as we pray, I need money for school. Um, I need this to happen. I need that to happen. And what we do is we pray through the eyes of our need. But if you want the eyes of your heart to be enlightened, you have to go from praying for your need to praying for your inheritance because it's not the same thing. And so our need might actually be the greatest hindrance to understanding our inheritance. Because inheritance is not about the money or the jacket or the coat or the car or the school payment. The inheritance is about what are you going to leave? Come on. When, when we're not here, we're leaving something for the kingdom of God. It's not about that. My inheritance is my children finding Jesus and loving Jesus. Inheritance is the, the 900 grandchildren that we're going to have and great-grandchildren. She said, preach it. Your pastor said, preach it. Okay. So, um, but inheritance is more than that. I don't know if you've ever received an inheritance. I, I have only had one experience so far in life where I received an inheritance. I guess I got this phone call, and there's, there's this website, and uh, this website tells you if somebody in the world owes you money. It's incredible. And it'll tell you if there's an inheritance you don't know about or if there's a bill that, like, somebody owes you some money from a bill. And uh, it's amazing. I got this text message from a friend. She said, I was on this website, and she said, Pastor Doug, there is money for you. Someone owes you money, and they can't find you. And so the first thing I'm thinking is, I just won the Jesus lottery, I guess. I mean, I'm sure that it's thousands of dollars, right? Tens of thousands of dollars. I said, how much is it? She texts back, $7. $7? <laughs> Seven dollars, it, it cost me that much to get on the website because they're going to charge me a fee. But there is an inheritance, there's an inheritance that goes into the heavenly places and leaves us here. It's not, it's not the same thing. So we have to believe God that the hope that we're believing for, that it's a part of our inheritance and it's not just a need. All right, this is bigger. This is bigger than the need. Grandpa Hugh's part of the, the great generation. 
the great generation, the World War II generation who looked at the world, whether they were in the church or not, in terms of kingdoms. And there's, an, there's a bad kingdom and there's a good kingdom. And we're going to sacrifice all, everything we need to give to make sure that the right kingdom is in place. There was a, there was a generation like that in the church. The great generation, people who did things like sell all and move to Africa or move to Asia or move and, and just believe God that they're going to change the world for an inheritance. So this is, this is an inheritance word this morning. Uh, the second thing that it says is that we're going to receive power. Ephesians 1, uh, verses 19, it kind of says this, I'll paraphrase, and his, his great power for us who believe. And that power is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. So the first thing that we get is an inheritance, and the second thing we get is a power. But this is not a normal power. This is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. So your inheritance is not your power. It's the same power that rose Jesus from the grave. How many of you know that's a pretty good power? All right, so I'm sitting in my hotel this morning, and in my hotel, evidently, there is a a, a national bodybuilding competition going on, and they're all staying at my hotel. So I get up this morning, and I walk into the kitchen, into the little restaurant area, and I sit down, and in come about 50 or 75 bodybuilders. And they sat all around me. And the longer I sat there, the more insecure I became. (laughs) Finally, the waitress walks up, waitress walks up and says, what can I get you today? I said, muscle. (laughs) She said, oh, ha, 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 are you at the competition? I said, are you, really? This this morning, I said, my body's been building towards something for years. It's not that. It's just, I don't know what it is, but I feel, it's something going on right now. And I'm looking around at these guys, and, uh, and I, I, realized, I realized I will never be able to lift. What they, I just want you to hear this. There is no person walking on the face of this planet that has the power to raise anyone from the dead. I don't care how big they are. I don't care how strong they are. Nobody can do it. The power that we receive, if it's the same power, then there's a, it's, if it says the same power that did this, then there's a not the same power. It's not the same as your physical strength. It's not the, that's not the, the, the strength of your, your meeting that you just had with all the smartest people that you know. It's not the same with the person's book that you just bought and you love their book. It's not the same. It's not the same as, as, as your intellect or your degrees or your, your very best thought. It's, it's bigger than all of that. As a matter of fact, it says when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him in heavenly places, it's the same power that seated Jesus at the right hand of God. And here's the problem with inheritance. The problem with inheritance and need is that we forget where we're seated. So if you have the same power that seated Christ at the right hand of God, that means that you're seated at the right hand of God yourself in the sense that you're not a grandchild. Everyone is a child of God. You have an inheritance. The inheritance goes to the children. People don't understand how to get to the next level because they still think that church looks, that heaven looks like this. Heaven does not look like this, where there's a pastor or Jesus standing up and preaching truth, and all of us are lined up in rows trying to figure out what's going on with our life. How many of you know when we get to heaven, there's just Jesus and all of his children, and we all receive the inheritance, and we're all sitting next to him receiving what he has for us. This is the kind of power that we're talking about. But people don't understand the inheritance. They don't understand where they are seated. You are not seated 
next to your own strength or next to somebody that is stronger than you. You are seated next to Jesus, and you're his son, and you're his daughter. Then it goes on to say that we have authority far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked. There is a, there is a, a truth here in, in this that says that when we are seated above all of these other things, that there's a name that we invoke, and that name is the name of Jesus. If you were to take every name that was ever created on the face of the planet. Now, here, here's the thing about names. How many of you have bought a baby name book before? Some of you, we got a baby name book, right? Well, we did that. When my son was born, we bought the Hawaiian name book because I'm part Hawaiian. His name is Kai. And um, we went through all of the books. How many of you know that there is somebody somewhere just chilling, writing names and meanings? Because there's no way. There's no way that everybody has a name. I looked up Douglas. Douglas, Douglas was from a place of darkness. That was inspiring. <laughs> or the seeker of light. Which is it? There's some guy sitting in a, making money, making up meetings to names because people make up names now. They just make up a name out of everything. What's your name? Stagey. <laughs> Standing on the promises of God. What's your name? Screeny. Declaring the truth to all who sees it. What's your name? Drummer. Dumber? No, drummer. Drummer guy. Drummer, drummer guy. What does that mean? Marching forward. In the There's somebody standing around making names up all day. In every country, on every continent, on the entire planet, in every language, in every tongue, in every tribe, if you took, if there were millions of names or billions of names and you could put them all on a list, all of them on a list, and you went from the bottom to the top, how many of you know which name would be number one? It's the name of Jesus. So above all other name, so not only do we have hope and, and an inheritance and do we have power, but we have authority in the name of Jesus. So to have our, our, the eyes of our hearts enlightened to what God wants to do, you've got to go, wait a minute, I have an inheritance, wait a minute, I have, uh, I have a, a power that is not from here, and there's a name that I can, if you listen, listen, if you want to move mountains, and if, if you want to see miracles, don't invoke Daniel Elison's name. In the name of Daniel. What's wrong with you? What's wrong? In Daniel's name. Pastor Doug's name, Pastor Craig's name, there, there's no other name. What, what name are you going to invoke? The name of a teacher? The name of a political leader? The name of your favorite singer? What name are you going to invoke? To invoke means to bring the power of, the, of what that person has, the, the who that person is. When you say their name, you're bringing not the name, but who they are into your situation. That's what invoke means. So you're going to bring in the name of Jesus, and Jesus is going to show up. And Jesus is going to do an incredible work, but it's, it's not any other name.
And so you've got a hope or an inheritance. You've got a power. You've also got a name. You've got authority. That authority comes in a name. And the last thing you have is a resource. Is a resource. I believe in resource, but I believe that resource comes from a place that, that we don't see. There are times in our life where we have been so broke and, and trying to figure out life. How many of you know God is always faithful? When Don and I started in the ministry, right after the whole light thing, we, worked, we got counseling for that. And right after that, we went to work as youth pastors. And, and my salary was $900 a month. Rent was $650. If I wanted a garage with our apartment, that was $50. Now we're at $700. And how many of you know that it's hard to tithe it's hard to give when your bills exceed what it is that you bring in. But we prayed for resource. My wife has always been a tither. Tithing was a whole new thing for me. You have to understand, Christians do some things that are not totally normal. You know, like, I'm going to give up. I had one guy say to me recently, you want me to give up every Sunday for the rest of my life? And part of me was like, of course. Then, then the other half of me was like, what he's saying makes total sense if you don't know Jesus, if you don't understand. Tithing was weird to me. You want me to give up 10% of all my money for the rest of my life? And, and my wife, my beautiful wife says, well, if you only want to give that much, that's fine. <laughs> she tithed. I brought nothing into the marriage except the fly rod and tax debt. <laughs> and a call. <laughs> the call of God. She said, do you have any money? I said, no, but I owe money. Is that the same thing? <laughs> and you know what? We gave. We sowed. Because the resource that we need to tap into, if you're going to go to the next season, that resource, it won't come from your, what's in your pocket. It comes from what is in your inheritance. You've you got to leave the, the, this part down here, and you've got to go up here, and you've got to go hope and inheritance, power and authority and a name, and then resource. And, of course, look at what it says here in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 22, and God placed all things, everyone say all things, under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church. Now, this is the message you may have heard before on this verse, but Jesus is the head of everything, not for himself, but for you. It's for the church. God placed all things under his feet, under his authority for the church. Which means that everything that, that Jesus has, everything that God has, he is over it for you. And so when we talk about resource and what God wants to do as we go forward, it doesn't come from down here. It comes from up above because God says everything is controlled from up above. And if it's controlled from up above, if you know the guy at the top, he can open up the resource for you down here. And it's amazing when he says, no, I did all of this for you. I, I, I became the king and I did all of this for the church, for you. I didn't do it for myself. Do you mean all of it is available? It's all available. And so this is what it means to see more. To see more means that you understand God and faith and people. It means that you understand that we have a journey as we're learning to get to know God better. And I want to say it again. Faithfulness is one of the most powerful lessons anyone will ever learn. The faithfulness of God. Year after year, generation after generation, God is faithful. It's never going to change. And so we have, a, we have a God who loves us. There is a faith and a hope and an inheritance. There is a power that does not come from in here. There's a power that comes from on high. 
And, and every time that your eyes open a little bit, you get a new revelation of this. And then we have a new authority, and then we have a new resource. This is what Ephesians tells us in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, if you want to see more, it's not, it's not these eyes that need to be opened. It's the eyes of our heart. Most Christians in the world, this is the journey that they walk, is trying to get the eyes of our heart um, enlightened. And it's the enlightened heart that causes us to do things that we wouldn't normally do. It's the eyes of our heart that causes us to start a business that maybe we were afraid to start. It's the eyes of our heart being enlightened that causes us to turn away from a job and become a, a, a youth pastor like we did and work for a little amount of money. Uh, it's, the, it's the eyes of our heart being enlightened that caused my in-laws, Bob and Sharon Wager, to go back to Africa to take on another church at 65 years old. Bob says to me, we're going back to Africa. They need us. I said, I need you. We're going to start a church. No, we're going back to Africa. How old are you? 65. You already did Africa. For decades, there's like 2,000 years, yeah, but this church needs us in Africa. But how could you at 65, I need you to retire so that I can work you to death in my church plant. <laughs> you, can't, you can't go back to Africa. So they go back to Africa. They take a little church of 150 people. They turn it into 2,000 people. He comes back at 71 years old. He goes, okay, that assignment is over, and now God has called us into the church now. But see, when you get 60, 70, and 80 years old, this is what it takes for you to, to see the call of God, you've got to under, it's the eyes of our heart that has to be enlightened because in the natural it doesn't make sense. So the eyes of our heart need to be enlightened and God wants to bless you this morning. And what I want to do is I want to pray for you and uh, I want to thank you for having us. But if we could just stand to our feet and uh, I, want to, I want to do one prayer before we move out of here and that is that some people here this morning, I really believe that what God wants to do is open the eyes of your heart because you're feeling like you don't know what's going on in your life. You don't know if you have an inheritance. You're struggling with your call. Um, you've been frustrated. And what God wants to do is he wants to come and just touch that place of hope in your life. How many of you believe that God's got more for you? Come on. He's got more for you. He wants us to see more. He wants us to experience more. But we start in a heavenly place and not an earthly place. All right, bow your heads with me this morning. And I just want to pray for you. If you're here and you need the eyes of your heart to be enlightened to what God has for you, and you've just been kind of in a season of struggling and you've been frustrated and you need to go to a next season and you know that God's got a promise he wants to fulfill for you. Uh, but man, it's been a stretch. We lift your hand if that's you this morning. I just know God's got something for you. Jesus, I pray for every person that has their hand lifted. I pray for the, the presence and the strength and the power of Jesus to come and to, and to bless these people. I pray for the eyes of their heart to be enlightened. I pray, Father, that you would take them and seat them in a heavenly place. I pray, Father, that you would bring them to a place where they see you and hear your name. I pray, Father, that you would, you would uh, as we pray, open the eyes of their heart to the hope and the inheritance of what you have for them, Jesus. God's got a plan for you. God loves you. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He knows you inside and out. We just want to know you more, God. I pray for them. You bless them today. Now I want to have the whole church say this out loud. Say, Lord Jesus, let the eyes of my heart be enlightened to your power, your grace, your love, your authority, your strength. And Jesus, today, I surrender my life one more time to your perfect will. I love you, God. 
I trust you, Jesus. One more prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, all that I have is because of you. And I give my life to you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you believe that, put your hands together and tell Jesus you love him. Um, it's so good to be here. You, you, guys, you, guys are, you guys are incredible. You guys are amazing. How many of you are believing for big things in the church this year? I'm, tell, I'm telling you, God, God is, is moving, he's shifting, and he's opening your eyes to the things that are ahead. God's always taking you forward. He never takes you behind. He might shrink you a little bit. He might shrink down what you have, but it's only because sometimes we got to get down to a place where we let all the other stuff go, all the stuff we were relying on, so that we can then uh, trust him at a deeper level, right? God's taking you forward. Can I hear an amen? Amen. God bless you.